If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrir. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by ACAST. How are you doing, Giggly Head? It is uh, podcast time. What's on your mind, my man? Uh, well, th- tomorrow, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Dorky Book Festival, I know. I am looking forward to it. I have just got off the phone to, I think, a guy who will be incredibly interesting, Ula. Mikhail Khodorkovsky, right? So Khodorkovsky was the richest man in Russia right? when he was 40 years old. He was one of the oligarchs. Then... What did he take over? He Some took over Menetep, which was a Russian bank, and then oh, he right. took over an oil company, right. right? Then in 2003, February 2003, he went on television in Russia and he accused or contradicted what Putin had said in some public broadcast. In September 2003, so what, six months later, he was 10 years in the gulag, sentenced. Wow. Right. Hard labor. Hard labor. Hard labor. And amazingly, he got out and he is now the leader of a movement called Open Russia Mm. to try and have transparency in Russia. But he is the living embodiment of what happens when you cross Putin. So Khodorkovsky... So is he one of the guys then? Is that Open Russia going to be one of those organizations that's deemed to be a terrorist organization? Has already been two weeks ago. Oh, right. Okay, right. there you but, go. Yeah, yeah, But the yeah. point is, remember we talked about Russia? The mm-hmm. end game in Russia is of enormous consequence to all of us. Can Putin and his gang get out or do they leave in revolution? Do they get ejected by the people? Yeah. Like it's a sort of a Tsar Nicholas moment, right? Like there's no real way out for them. And Khodorkovsky is so interesting because, again, anybody who spent 10 years in a Russian gulag and mm. come out the far side, by very definition, is fantastically interesting. Yeah. But any person who got to the very top of the crazy free-for-all that was the Yeltsin years after the fall of communism, again has a fascinating story. So I was I was talking to him this morning yeah. in order 
to interview him on Sunday just to make sure the whole right. parameters are right. That'd be good. Really, really interesting. Well, we've all sorts of, we've also, we've, oh, we have Dante. Of course you have Dante. We've Yates. We've you, you take all your chat-up lines from I'm Dante. About Dante, how are you doing? <laughs> I'll tell you about Dante. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We have really interesting on Black Lives Matter, Marlon James. Marlon James, oh, Booker yes. Prize yep. winner, lived, and this is the interesting, has lived most of his adult life. He left Jamaica because he was gay. Yeah. And Jamaica is a very homophobic country. But he went to Minneapolis and he said to me something a couple of weeks ago, which I think is amazing about Black Lives Matter. I said, like, Martin, what does it feel like? What did it feel like to be a black man in Minneapolis? And he said, David, yeah, and he's a big guy. Yeah, he's yeah. He's about six, two or three, yeah. big guy. And he said, I lost a lot of weight in order not to be, really? not to be the big threatening black man on the street. Think it was about a conscious thing. Conscious. He said, I was Holy so shit. afraid of the cops in Minneapolis who subsequently... Yeah. Ended up being exposed, being rotten to the core. The, yeah. you know, the George Floyd, the guy Chauvin, all those things. But Marlon said, I consciously lost weight. I became a slighter version of myself because I didn't want to be That's the incredible. big, muscular, threatening. Yeah, because he was always a big guy. In the white imagination. Yeah. Isn't that an extraordinary thing to say? I, I'd never have thought that would be a reaction by well, anybody. Yeah. And then incredible. tomorrow night we have. David, the American people need. <laughs> You've hey, got to understand Brother Bernie. this. Br- Bernie, which I can't wait. I can't wait. We have amazing guests yeah. all over the weekend. Tickets are at dorkybookfestival.org. We've also tried to do, as I said on, on Tuesday, to make it as brilliant a broadcasting experience as we possibly can. Mm. I think there's something there for everyone. I really do feel. And then we're concluding with Matt Damon. And his bag of cans from SuperValue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everybody wants to know what was in that bag. <laughs> Definitely cans. Or as I said, of good, what though? Dutch side. gold or something a little bit more? No, it has to be the Praszki, the Polish stuff, the really cheap stuff. <laughs> so that's that's all. That's all. It's going to be a great weekend. It's going to yeah, be great no, weekend. it is. But you know what's been intriguing me recently, right? Go on. Is the way in which America is going. You know the way I love to talk about whether or not there are historical parallels to what's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we're seeing the Americans all over the world, the Europeans, the Americans, the Brits, the Japs, everybody is driving the economy hot. This is the whole idea, that we're actually going to drive the economy hot rather than cold. We're going to risk inflation. We're going to accelerate. We're going to put our foot down the pedal. Mm. We're going to spend money. I see that Joe Biden, even last week, got a commitment from the G7 to keep spending, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. So it's that idea of zero interest rates, keep spending, the idea of pushing the economy. And I've always been wondering, like, how do you analyze this? Where are we going to go? Where are we going to end up? And then the question is, is there a period of history in some other countries that we can look to and say, okay, I now have a framework as to what happened there and is that going to happen now? But but is there? Because, I mean, we're, we're as, as we keep being told, we're in unprecedented times. You know, nothing like this has ever happened before. But so what, what is that framework? What is that? Well, concept? as you and I know that usually people who use the word unprecedented are very precedented. 
<laughs> no, right. it's true. Okay. Like, it's yeah. unprecedented. It's like, like, for example, the great one is the pandemic. It's unprecedented. No, it's not. <laughs> There's pandemics all the time. Well, that's true. You know that's I mean? true. Good you point. You know, like, like a, an infectious disease. It's unprecedented. No, the clues in the title, infectious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They happen all the time. So, but it's not so it's unprecedented, but it's unusual times. Right. So, okay. I was reading something the other day of a great American writer called Rob Armstrong in the FT, Mm. who was comparing what's happening in America now to what happened in Japan, John, before the Japanese classic asset price boom. A thing called, have you heard of it? Kamikaze capitalism? No. So kamikaze capitalism is the description that's given to the Japanese boom throughout the 80s. Right. So had you gone into any airport in the late 80s. We clearly didn't because we used to no. get the mailboat, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly, because this was before Ryanair, wasn't it? So you couldn't fly from it. But had you done that, you would have seen many, many bestsellers about how Japan is going to take over the world. Yeah. The rising sun, you know, the empire. This is the, These were the original Asian tigers. The, exactly. Yeah. And there was a huge fear in America that Japan is going to take over the world. Japan has figured out everything. And within... A couple of decades, the Japanese are going to run the world, Mm. all based on the fact that Japanese were buying up huge parts of the United States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It subsequently became known as kamikaze capitalism because it ended up in a total disaster for Japan. And somebody wrote about this, this guy, fascinating journalist called Rob Armstrong in New York. So let's go to New York, talk to Rob, and see what he's got to say for himself. The other day I was reading the FT. One of my favourite, favourite scribes in the FT is Rob Armstrong, writes about American financial markets, the United States economy, global economy, etc. He is on. We got him out of the scratcher early, early in New York. But, you know, the Yanks, the Yanks like being productive and getting up early. So it's, what, 8 o'clock in New York. Rob, how are you? I'm doing very well, David. Thanks for having me on the show. You should come and live in Europe. Saturday mornings are... Designed for nursing hangovers and uh, complaining. Yeah, I, I did live. I lived in London for five years. I loved it. Yeah, you should come I, and live in Dublin. There's an even better spot. Slightly less cosmopolitan, but you know, it's okay. Yeah, no, I love Dublin. I'm married to a nice Irish American girl, so we visit. Oh God, love you. So you're deep. You're deep. Yeah. <laughs> and as it happens, I'm wearing my Celtics, my Boston oh, Celtics. Fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> so you're married into the Irish American New York, Boston, Philly, which well, strand? Which she, variant, uh, as we she say? She grew up in New Jersey, so I guess the New York strand. She's she's an uh, O'Sullivan. Her family's from the Bora Peninsula. Oh wow! Oh, nice neck of the yeah. woods, actually. Nice neck of the woods. You should. Did, yeah, did you get? It, did you get down there to Alahees and all those get places? We down there, yeah. and we expected everyone to be impressed by the fact that here was a real American O'Sullivan, and they were not impressed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> O'Sullivan's, O'Sullivan's are a dime a dozen in the Bar of Peninsula. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a real stronghold down there. <laughs> it's actually true. It's actually true. In fact, I think the Bar of Peninsula is all about the O'Sullivan Bear. Was the name of the, uh, yeah. the clan? I yeah. think so. And there's a castle there and all this stuff. Anyway, it's a beautiful part of the world. Well, listen, Rob, I read uh, I read a piece that you wrote the other week, which I found yeah. very fascinating. The kind of, it, it rumbled some dark corner of my mind and my memory yes. from many years ago. And you were making yeah. the point, Rob, which I thought was fascinating because I'm always interested in recent and ancient history and do we yes. repeat ourselves. And you were saying that you got the feeling that the United mm. States now could be a wee bit like Japan in around 
five or six. Yes. And the policy mix could end, could 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 yes. lead us. So explain that to to me and the listeners. I found it fascinating because in this remote part of my brain, I'm I know. I'm remembering the it. Eighties. It's very distant. It's, it's very, very distant, distant for me as well. So I guess the story um, begins with the Plaza Accords. Now I'm really going back. This is maybe 1985, and basically, corporate America went to. Ronald Reagan and his aides and said, look, this strong dollar is killing us. We can't sell a car to save our lives. Something must be done. And so uh, there's rumbling and grumbling. And there's a big, at the Plaza Hotel, there's a big international conference. And they basically, they decide to weaken the dollar. And that's good for America, but it's very tough for Japan. Japan, even then, was a export-driven economy. And having a weaker dollar, which means a stronger yen, which means less exports for Japan, immediately drives Japan into a two-year recession. And that's really tough. And Japan weakens its monetary policy as a result, both because there's a recession and because you weaken your monetary policy, you keep the yen from getting any stronger, or at least that's a theory. But then two years later, they come out of this recession and things are really good. The companies are doing well, the currency is stable, it's still strong, but not too strong. GDP growth is coming back and the company and the country is kind of roaring along. And usually when the economy is roaring along, what you do is you tighten monetary policy. But that was not going to happen in Japan because of because they were terrified about strengthening the currency again, they just seen that movie, and it was not fun. And then another thing happened, which is the 1987 crash, Black Tuesday crash. So that scares central bankers all over the world into keeping policy weak and... And interest rates low and all that sort of... And interest rates low and everything. everything. So so interest rates low. In any case, so Japan is ripping along but has soft monetary policy. Rates are very low. They're like 2%, which would be high now, but was very low then. And the economy of Japan goes crazy and particular assets in Japan go crazy. Stocks go through the roof. Uh, and property goes absolutely wild. There was this, there's this famous moment in the 80s in Japan where people figured out that the Imperial Palace in Tokyo, the real estate on which that stood, was worth more than all the real estate in the state of California combined. Wow. Uh, so it was like everything in Japan. And this was when we were watching, you know, all, you know, Japan was like, buying the 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 lincoln center ice skating rink and everybody was like japan's going to take over the world they've got figured out it's beautiful they've got this system where the government and the companies and the people all cooperate and it's wealth and like all stories like this it ends badly there, there's a crash but in the meantime in that in those kind of like 1987 88 89 to the end of 89 it was like the best and asset price so the question is are we doing that now the analogy being we're coming out of a kind of shock so the, like they were with... So the United States, is the United States doing something the, the, similar? Similar, yeah, that yeah. is the question. So where, you know, you had the 80s, in Japan, you had the 87 crash and the Plaza Accords. Now we have the pandemic, which is like a, a, an excuse to keep policy low, even though the economy looks good. That's the kind of core metaphor here, is that we've had a shock, we want to make sure that things are okay, and so we're letting policy run. And the one thing that may mean is in the short term, all this easy money just goes flowing into financial assets. And if you own a house or you have a stock portfolio, it is gonna be an absolutely wonderful couple of years. Because 
this stuff is going to inflate and inflate. And a lot of people are nervous about the stock market. But the Japanese example tells us, actually, maybe with a fun is just starting here. Uh, but of course, there's the other side of that, where in general, these things stop being fun. Well, at some I point. Mean, the, and as an Irish economist, you should know something about what happens when the fun stops. Yeah, I no, it's not nice. It's not nice. You know, <laughs> don't turn on the lights. Don't put on the national anthem. Don't tell us the gig is over. Uh, because John and I remember, because John and I are old, old mates here. And we suffered as teenagers uh, at late mm. at discos where just yes. as things were getting going and you're yeah. getting all your best moves and lines, yes. the lights go on, the national, <laughs> yeah. and then she discovers you've got red hair. She's like, oh my God, he's got <laughs> well, your problem. He's got, <laughs> he's got red hair. <laughs> they don't like the red hair there? No. I think they like it. They like it in Spain. We were in the Gale Talked in West Cork. You think, the, you think the O'Sullivans are a dime a dozen? Redsers are a dime a dozen over there? Anyway, but let's come back to Japan and our yeah, deep thing. Because, so, so Japan hits the buffers and hits it hard. One, one of the things I remember most vividly, well, I don't mm. remember, I read subsequently about the Japanese stock market, that a great way of uh, trying to figure out how overvalued assets were in Japan mm. was the memberships to golf clubs, yes, right? The price I, of yeah, memberships. And they used to issue a weekly or maybe monthly indices of yes. the and exactly the same shit happened here in the Celtic Tiger. And I actually used that and I remember kind of insulting the entire readership of the business post. Yeah. Who were all <laughs> golf club members who had all it wasn't paid. the only time though either. Well, that's true, actually. The columnist's yeah. job is to be, you know, yes. always slightly marmite right. either love it or hate it. Anyway, but I yes. do remember at the time in Ireland. Yeah. There was this extraordinary inflation in golf club mm. membership fees. Yes. And then they had this lovely, so it was like preferred stock and ordinary stock. You had yes. like the full member who didn't have to pay much. And then yes. you had the shitty nouveau riche member who had to yes. pay through the nose, right? So yeah, I always remember course. that. But what happened in Japan was traumatic in the extreme. Yes. Uh, and, and indeed, uh, Japan, you could argue, has never recovered. In a certain sense. Now, you know, I originally wrote this when I started writing this, I wrote this as an argument that actually the stock market has room to run. But we've now we've mentally kind of skipped over that phase to what happens on the other side, which is fine. What happened in Japan when when asset values collapsed on the other side, starting in late 89, I think it was, it didn't they haven't fully recovered since real estate has never recovered. The stock market may be close to where it was, you know, 30 years ago, but close at best. Part of the effect was it sort of discredited monetary policy. So no one believed that it worked. And so they've had sort of been in a kind of deflationary semi-recession ever since. Yes. Uh, where they, they can't get prices moving at all. And I mean, if you've ever j been to Japan, you'll know that if we ever have a recession, we should have a recession like theirs. It feels very nice over there. <laughs> but that said, you know, they've really between that and their, th this and their demographics, they have had, um, you know, a real sluggish. Well, you know what I do. I want to come back the to the side. states. I want to come back to the states now because I, I think it's always, mm -hmm. it's always, it's it's it's, it's typical economists, you know. You know, like let's forget let's forget the good times and let's go to the apocalypse and talk about that. Okay. Right now, for, so for let's talk about the good times. But I mean, in, mm. in Japan, if you you know, for listeners, there's a very interesting Japanese economist. I think he's half Japanese, called Richard Ku, 
who writes mm-hmm. about balance sheet mm-hmm. recessions, and he talks about yes. what happens when countries go into this weird recession, the balance sheet recession, where in actual fact it's all driven by asset price deflation yes. and why that can last for such a long time. And then he also argues why the state has got to spend to get the hell out of it because people are in yes. what our friend Keynes called a liquidity trap, where you've got too yes. much debt and you don't want to take mm. down anymore. Now, so just a little segue on the economic side. If you, you have it, put, you've hit the, the issue absolutely on the head here. So when you say to people, we are Japan in 1987, for better or worse, the first response you get back from readers, and I got a lot of readers came back and said, oh, I was an analyst there in 87, and it was crazy, and da, da, da. The first response you get back is that Japan had a bank lending problem that we don't have in the United States now. So the banks went absolutely crazy. Asset values went up. The banks leveraged like crazy. They were lending you know, at the craziest asset values. And then the asset values collapse. And every bank in Japan is like a washed out zombie. It's got crap on its balance sheet that is worth a fraction of what it was originally marked at. They're not going to lend under those conditions. They're just like trying to survive. Yeah. They're like faking it, trying to keep their creditors, the people who borrowed their money alive by like pretending that it's things are different than they really are. And you're kind of stuck. So the hope for the United States now is that we have a situation that's similar to Japan, but that we, are, we don't have the same insanity in the banking system that you, they did. Then. Do you buy that? Well, you know, Warren Buffett's, you know, one of his million pithy phrases is that you don't know who is swimming naked until the tide goes out. So you don't know, (laughs) you don't know where the leverage is in the system until asset values fall. Until it starts to disappear. And then there's no leverage. Until it starts to disappear and there's no leverage. So, um, you know, there is a lot of leverage on corporate balance sheets now. Uh, the banks are definitely less leveraged than banks even were 10 years ago and certainly less leveraged than banks were. So it it wouldn't be that the dangerous leverage would appear in the banks, I don't think. We won't have another bank crisis if asset values collapse. The question is, where else, in in what dark closet of the system is the horrible leverage hanging out? And does and, anybody um, know, or is anybody? Or... I, I don't know. But like... I was hoping you would tell me. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, the I, hopefully, if if the overpricing of assets is care, is concentrated in stocks, that's if it's really there, that helps because stocks just reprice, yeah, and people are screwed, and then you start again. It and doesn't it, have when when credit values go down, it like is an anchor that is around yeah. your neck forever. Whereas equities just punch you in the face, you're knocked out, and then it's over and you get up and go about your life. And just for a good example of this, the dot com collapse, the bubble in two thousand and one or two, I can't remember, was mm-hmm. it two thousand one or two? You know, yeah, yeah, it yeah. Didn't really have any material impact on the economy simply yes. because it was an unleveraged mm-hmm. punt by people yes. who lost money. So people who were poor then got really rich and then got really yeah, poor they again. They were poor again. <laughs> exactly. And there's, there, is, there is an effect on the economy, right? There's wealth effects. Everybody feels, yeah. everybody feels so wonderfully rich when you have an equity bubble. Everybody's feeling that way now, right? If you have an equity portfolio, American, European, whatever, you have an equity portfolio, you're like, I'm rich. 
Yeah, and, right? and I'm a genius too. This is <laughs> not only am I rich, I'm smart. Exactly. <laughs> Which are two very dangerous <laughs> and incongruent. Yeah, not exactly. always related. <laughs> yeah, not always related. That's a case where correlation and causation are not the same thing, right? And uh, so you do have a wealth effect after an equity collapse, which is everybody suddenly feels poor and you will have a recession, but it doesn't have to be a Japan style forever recession where you're doing bank workouts for the next for, 20 for the next, years. And tell me, Robin, you're looking at markets all day and you're right extremely well. Like it's funny now, now that I'm chatting to you, I can actually see the sense of humor in the articles uh. that the FT tried to bludgeon out of them simply because <laughs> you can't be giggling at this stuff even though frankly yeah, yeah. you should it giggle is. at this stuff yeah it it's, is it's inherently it's, it's, well, it's yes. inherently funny you know it's, it's humans human folly. humans are it's inherently human folly. funny yeah yeah, yeah. of course yeah, what yeah, other weird true. and wonderful, I, I saw you writing about bitcoin the other day what other weird mm. and wonderful things are you seeing that are emerging because Again, what happens in effervescence, you know, when, when, when yes. interest rates are low and when Joe Biden is spending more money than he's ever had before and Bernie's pulling yes. the levers at the budget and it's all it's all good yes. stuff, right? But yeah. that creates so, a certain uh, effervescence. I mean, of course, you would have to talk the, 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 the funnest bit of effervescence right now is, of course, the so-called meme stocks or the what these are they? Ter- uh, the meme stock is a terrible company that a bunch of retail investors talks about on the internet and decides to make more expensive together. Okay. So they take GameStop was the original was the original and the biggest. You may have heard about GameStop. Yeah, no, they did it, did it with AMC. So you get together on on a Reddit site and you say, "Let's drive up the price of so and so." And everybody and and it's great fun. And this ter- I mean like AMC which went up i don't know what percent what, what was couple, amc you know, amc is an american theater a highly indebted american cinema chain no it, way yeah you may does anybody go to the it's cinema been a bad couple of years for cinemas i don't know if you've heard about this there's a pandemic it's a thing called netflix nobody goes, <laughs> nobody goes to the cinema right so and they and amc went into the pandemic with a huge amount of debt like it was teetering on restructuring before and it goes into the pandemic and it's like really bad and they have all this debt but for some reason the, the kind of redditors the meme stockers pick it up and it has gone insane the stock chart it's just gone wild and the company because they know to get when they're getting good is like issuing shares to these crazy people like oh you think our stock's worth a lot of money have more of it and they're shoveling it out the door so you give us real and, money and we'll give you bits of paper and we'll give you stocks <laughs> and and the thing is you know if you play this right if you're sitting there in your mom's basement and you're playing this thing right I mean, the thing is up, right? At some point, perception is reality, right? And and the st- stock's up a zillion percent, and it's issuing st- shares, and they stay valuable. And, you know, in the case of GameStop, which is a physical retailer in video games, another business that may not have the greatest prospects in the world, this has now been going on for months and months. So smart people like me sit there and say, oh, now, now, boys. You can't, this is, this is going to end badly. The music's going to stop, lads, and see how it goes then. And then they just are like, oh, yeah, watch this. <laughs> <laughs> and the stock still, you know, is still hundreds of times, 100 times multiple of earnings. So it's the classic case you mentioned Keynes before. I don't know if he really said this, but apocryphally, at least he said, the market can remain irrational longer than you can stay solvent. It's a great quote. It's a great, great. So, <laughs> so these like, are... Uh, so you, you sit there and, and the great mistake of people who sort of are, you know, think rationality 
rules is you think these are mispricings that are out there, whether it's Japan stocks in 1989 or 1987, or it's meme stocks today, or it's whatever it is. You, you think you're clever and you know how the fundamentals work, but there's no way to know when this kind of stuff is going to stop or if it, you know. And tell me now, because the, 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 in the, the Reddit world, okay? Yes. Who are the Pied Pipers of Reddit? Who are the... Who well, are the... Couple, yeah, I mean, this is not, you're getting out of my area of expertise, but there are a couple... Don't worry, I'm always out of my expertise. We just, <laughs> we just make this shit up as we go along. I mean, I mean, it's, but the interesting thing about it is that it's really a collective phenomenon. Right, it's a bunch of people talking to each other, going together, and they say, you know, uh, hodl. You know this term, hold on for dear life, H O D L, hodl. No. <laughs> and it means like, don't sell. We're all doing this together, you know. And then there's another phrase, diamond hands, which means you know, you're you hold on, no matter okay. what. Price going up, you hold on, you hold on. Now, the interesting question for me, several months ago, there was a narrative about this, which was, this is the little guy finally sticking it to Wall Street. So like Wall I remember Street, that one during the GameStop thing. Yeah. We're like we're like shorting these stocks and you know we're going to screen Wasn't there were there's some hedge fund called like Citron Capital Melvin, or something or Melvin, Melvin Capital. I remember they, I, that. I think am I getting that wrong? It's almost Melvin. In any case, they were short and they got driven out of their position and so forth. The interesting question now, which I don't have an answer to, is is the what the big money, the Wall Street money, are they wise to this phenomenon now? Right. Do they know how to play these wild swings in highly volatile stocks? And is it no longer a story of the little guy sticking it to Wall Street, but the smart money on Wall Street playing this volatility and playing the in a little very guy. clever way and playing the little guy? And, you know, we're, it's going to be interesting to see over the next couple of years who ultimately holds the bag for asset prices that have been driven up very high, very far beyond what the fundamentals of the companies involved justify. Well, the way in which the story usually plays out, and this is the sort of sort of slightly smug interpretation of the Wall Street guys as well, like I, I kind of, I told you so. It's the yes. little guy with, you know, <laughs> you know, how dare you possibly? I tried you know, to warn you. Yeah, I tried to warn you. I've got all my, I, I can discount a cash flow. I know all that stuff. You yeah, can't do that. Exactly. So the, the narrative is the little guy always loses and the house always okay. wins. Now, here's what makes the story even more tricky is sometimes the little guy just turns out to be right. So one hilarious example of this was Hertz went into bankruptcy. Yeah, I don't the know car if you the story. The car, a car <laughs> rental Hertz, another kind of company that's had a rather hard time in the pandemic. Because nobody's so renting cars. They, 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 yeah, yeah. So, so they go into bankruptcy for whatever reason. And every smart person like me is like, in bankruptcy, shareholders get wiped out. The creditors get the money. We know how these sorts of things work. And uh, we all think about it. And then the stock, while Hertz is in bankruptcy, the, the stock of Hertz starts to go up. And people are like, oh, it's these crazy young boys and girls again. Now, <laughs> lads and lasses, you, let, let me tell you how bankruptcy work. This stock is going to be worth nothing. So we're all very smart. And we sit in our club chairs and say how smart we are. As it turns out, in the bankruptcy proceeding, the equity holders got a good settlement and the stock was worth something. And all the smart people like Rob Armstrong had to sit there and say, oh, actually, um, you know, maybe we're not we're as smart not as we thought. <laughs> right? And, and like the crazy young retail investor was correct. I mean, the other, of course, classic example of this is people like you and me, maybe for a lot of years back in the 90s, were tut-tutting about Amazon. 
Oh, Amazon. Yeah. What? What is that thing? Who it's buys so books, books online? online? Who buys, buys books, books online? online? And it's called the stock costs a million dollars. And why? Why is this? It's, it doesn't make any money. And I'm going to go uh, down to Barnes and Noble and have a coffee and buy my yeah, hard copy oh, book. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And of course, the people who believed in Amazon and its crazy stock valuation and its inflated asset, they were right. And those and the grown-ups who said this this thing will never work, we were fools. So um, it's not and just- And remain fools. And <laughs> remain fools, and fools we remain. And you know, I, I wrote that. I mean, I was writing, I was writing, I was tut-tutting about Amazon 10 years ago, or even five years ago. And you know, I've just been, you know, so sometimes what makes this tricky is what sometimes, in a few cases, what seems to be obvious irrationality turns out not to be. And Absolutely. so you can't and it, and it be looks inspired. Smart. It likes Yeah, it looks inspired, right? <laughs> yeah, so exactly. you know, uh, these confidently predicting what is an overvalued asset and what is not an overvalued asset is is a way to look foolish. Uh, that said, I do think the Japan analogy oh, is, is inspired. Illuminating. Yeah. <laughs> inspired. So Rob, <laughs> before you go, so what you're saying is if the Japan analogy is working and works, yes. okay, we've got the yeah. we've got the 1985, and most people in the world remember the summer of 1985 for Band Aid and Live Aid. We remember yes. for, we remember for the Plaza Agreement because we're kind yeah. of really <laughs> sad, okay? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, people people say things like, "Did you remember seeing you two at the uh, yeah. Live Aid?" You no, remember, but remember I remember the, the Plaza Accords. I remember the communique. <laughs> <laughs> How to spot a nerd. Okay. <laughs> yes. But, so, but there's a good five years of fun between yes. 85 and 90, yeah. and we and, could be into I, that. What I, would, what I would emphasize is that a crisis, in both cases, a crisis allowed policymakers to contemplate a regime change, right? So you had the Plaza Accords, a recession in Japan, the 1987 stock market crash, and you said they said, let's try something different and let's be more aggressive similarly in in the case of the united states now we had the pandemic therefore we the the federal reserve can change its stance the treasury can spend a lot of money because we're in this special circumstance and maybe it works and maybe it's scary we will leave it there. Maybe it works. <laughs> I was about to say, I was saying, no price is too great for such wisdom. <laughs> maybe it's great, and maybe it's scary. Well, you know, there's this great Ber Bernanke, the, the line that always rings in my head is Bernanke when he was the Fed. He said, you know, he got some question from some smart-ass reporter, and he said, you know, we're learning by doing. Like, oh, thanks, 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 Ben. Thanks, ben. <laughs> Rob, listen, talk to you soon. Yeah. David, it's been a pleasure. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. So, Mac. He's a hoot. He was brilliant. But I just can, I can imagine him down in Alahy's, the big American head in him, saying, I'm in O'Sullivan. They're like, yeah, join the queue. Yeah, yeah, get yeah. Get to the back of the queue. Yeah, here. no, he was good. But are you telling me that you were looking at the plaza court while the rest of us, the rest of the world, was looking at Live can, Aid can I, in 1985. I, I it's so pathetic. Fucking nerdsville. It's so pathetic. Even worse, I was in Toronto, right? In 19, yeah. the summer of 1985, I was in Toronto. Yes, I remember As an that. illegal, I know, 17, 18-year-old. We were so young. It's mad yeah. to think we were there. And <laughs> I was completely fascinated with what was going on in the plaza accord. Oh, and I remember live, and I just, live, I just, the whole thing, I remember it was very exciting and they were beaming from Philadelphia and beaming from London. Yeah. Problem with the London gig was really early in the morning for us because we were in the States. Yeah. We were in there and... I was at Murphy all day long. Yeah. You can imagine. Yeah, well, I was in Nerdistan over in, yeah. in Nerdistan <laughs> and I was much more interested in what was So happening. you missed the, like, the U2 singing Bad and Queen singing no. Radio Gaga and, you know... Look, I wouldn't sing Radio Gaga to you. It's such a shit song. No, 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 no. But it was what was going on. I know. The vibe so, of the day, John, the whole lot. You were with Murphy, who yeah. I'm going to meet actually next week up a mountain somewhere, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just into all that stuff. I was into all that stuff. And I was intrigued at what was happening between West Germany. Yeah. It was West Germany at the time, the United States and Japan, and how they were figuring out all the economics. Mm. I know it's very sad. Really Johnny, sad. no girlfriends here. It's <laughs> yeah, like, what were you doing? They say, oh, I was watching David Bowie today. And I was like, oh, really? I was reading a communique, which I thought was really fascinating about the whole thing. Have I told you about the Plaza Court? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Look, let's just say I was in a niche market. Yeah, niche market, time. yeah. I was in a niche market. And you've since moved on to Dante. <laughs> <laughs> I know. My, yeah, I'm so ridiculously niche, it's pathetic okay that's okay that's why we love you Mac. swatty pants over here in the corner but rob was very good he was I enjoyed, brilliant i enjoyed that yeah and again what's very interesting Part of the gang now yeah oh no he's no idea the poor yeah. man has no idea that he is going to be part of the gang he's going to get emails late at night yeah. say hey rob how's it going but we have him over to the talking book festival or kilconomics yeah. or whatever but it's fascinating to look at what's happening now and have a framework to try and analyze what could happen. Mm. So when your policy is what they call over easy, right? Where you're actually, what he's saying is that there was a recession in Japan, then there was the crash of 87. Mm. This set the tone for a new policy. I kind of, let's let's go and see what happens. Mm. Likewise, now the pandemic has done the same thing. We've changed and we said, let's have this new policy. And he's just saying that, you know, it could end in tears. It could easily end in tears. Mm. And looking at Japan is actually, I think, very prescient. They call it kamikaze capitalism. And that is unfortunately the clue is in the title. Yeah. But here, come here. What struck me was what he described. 
it's kind of what's going on with China at the moment. Yep. You know, with, with, with Japan buying up everything, investing in this, that, and all of us all over the world. And then it came to a horrible end. Yeah. But China's doing well, that now. We're following a very similar policy. Very good question. One thing we don't know, and this is the crucial issue with China, is in Japan, the banks financed everything, mm. right? So when the Japanese crisis hit, Japanese banks went bust. Exactly the same thing that happened here. Yeah. Exactly the same thing that happened in the United States in 2008. What we don't know, because there's no transparency, as they say in corporate terms, mm -hmm. I have no visibility, mm -hmm. right? Which mm -hmm. means you don't know what's happening deep within the Chinese banking system, yeah. right? Because but it's backstopped stopped anyway by... The Chinese government, yeah. right? But again, we don't know to what extent all these Chinese investments are being backstopped by the government feeding back into the government. But I think you're absolutely right, and I think we should leave it there, that Japan is a very, very good example of what could happen. But you're absolutely right that what's more interesting are the parallels between Japan in the late 1980s and China in the mid-2020s. So let's see how it plays out. To all you Patreons out there, thank you so much for supporting us. We couldn't do this without your support. It means a huge amount to us. Also, all your feedback, your suggestions, your comments, our comments to you, our replies to you, really is the essence of the whole thing. So, again, thank you very much. And for all of you who might want to support us, check us out. Patreon.com forward slash David Williams. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.